Hello and welcome to another episode of the Novum Insightful. It gives me great pleasure to be here today with Afir and Ashley of Resource Network. Really exciting project, making it easier for sort of main street businesses to borrow from the crypto and DeFi markets. Uh, at Novum, we decided to invest in them fairly early on in their journey, um, but we, we just think it's a really interesting concept. Ashley and Afir, um, Ashley is the COO and Afir is the CMO. Um, so welcome to the Novum Insightful. In terms of, of, of what you're, you're both and the team are, are setting out to do with resource, sort of, how, how did you come on the idea? Well, we kind of came on it uh, separately on our own and then joined forces uh, so I can give my story. Um, uh, when I read the Ethereum white paper, uh, started thinking about systems where people could uh, turn their contributions, their resources, their skills into a type of currency. And uh, then I realized that there were so many things that you could do with the Ethereum concept um, and that it was going to be very disruptive. And so just decided to join the ecosystem and help build out the ecosystem first before um, being an entrepreneur myself. Uh, and then with uh, with the DeFi summer and different tokenomics models, different infrastructure being built, it just felt like the right time to start that. Um, and luckily got connected to this team and we were actually thinking about the same uh, concept and we were both calling it resource. So it was very natural for us to join forces. Very cool. Yeah, um, my story is a little different. I would say that the main uh, part of the story that's relevant to resources is that I had always been interested in replacing the monetary system, which I thought was a very uh, sparsely discussed topic. In economics, people uh, often criticize the distribution of wealth in the world or what tax regimes are like or a lot of different things, or maybe that there shouldn't be a government uh, in states. Um, and uh, I was just always really fascinated with money itself, the Fed, how money is issued, you know, uh, fractional reserve banking, and challenging that and creating new forms of currency. So uh, resource being uh, mutual credit based is this kind of model that I fell in love with and very interested in seeing it become very big. Yeah, amazing. So, so and and I think I think we can we can dissect a lot of those those topics um, later. So, in terms of sort of how how resource works, so what's the What's the mechanism that allows you to be able to lend across these businesses? And as I understand it, there's there's a mechanism where different businesses in the network are effectively lending to each other. Yeah, so um, we launched the first network on this protocol that we built. And what's different about the credit in our network than other types of credit or lending protocols that exist is that the unit of account in our system is minted by the businesses themselves. Um, so that means that there's not an external pool of capital like USDC or fiat or some other asset 
that uh, needs to get into the hands of businesses. So the way that it works is we have a role called the underwriter. The underwriter stakes a source token, uh, source tokens, and that's um, the network token of the protocol. And they stake 20% of the credit line in resource dollars. And the businesses now can spend resource dollars with other businesses in the network. And when the businesses actually make a transaction, that's when resource dollars are actually minted. So that means that the underwriter didn't have to go and acquire, you know, 100% of the credit line in order to give it to the business. Cool. And and I know you're in fundraising mode at the moment, but you, you've been working as well on, on a sort of proof of concept rollout with, with different people. How many, how many businesses do you have in the network at the moment? So the way it worked is that we launched in May in Asheville, North Carolina, which is a very like small business oriented community. We got about 250 people to register. Maybe half of them made any transaction ever. And maybe half of that, which is coming to like whatever, 60, 70 were the core uh, people who came to our events, who were excited about us on social media, really got the gist. Um, as a proof of concept, we learned a lot. And we actually decided on doing a pivot after that. And basically the beginning of the strategy was this. And it's important for me to clarify that from a truth perspective, businesses provide credit to each other. But from a, a marketing or from a user experience, experience perspective, like what it feels like to be a user, the system gives you a line of credit. You don't really know how it arrives. Uh, and so then the only question is, what am I going to spend my credit on? And you go into the online marketplace that we've constructed. You can see all these products and services that you can buy priced in resource dollars. And we realize that it's very hard for people to actually go ahead and buy something. And this is, you know, in correlation with regular internet, where it's kind of hard to get people to spend money and nobody wants to get into debt, even if it's zero percent interest. And one of the uh, meetups, we used to do a lot of meetups in Nashville. Um, one of the meetups that we did, a business arrived and they said, listen, I sell water. I don't necessarily need to uh, be able to buy on credit line photography and massage and accounting and event space. I'm good. I'm a water company and I'm stable. What I'd like to do is to give my employees 200 resource dollars in a benefits program every month that they could then spend on practitioners, acupuncture, massage, you know, spa in town. And the way that this water business paid back is when anyone from the community buys water from them and resource dollars. So they top up their account and then again, they can spend them as benefits. And we just found that to be a very simplistic and a good way, very simplifying uh, model where if you get a good employer and they give it to their employees and they give it to, you know, the massage people and then the massage people can buy water or from other businesses that are participating in this program, it simplifies our uh, launch significantly from needing to get 50 types of businesses, you could get six types of businesses and you're still creating a value for all the participants. Yeah, amazing. So, so now effectively you're, I guess, lending the resource dollars off the um, future cash flows of the business or the future uh, income of the business in some way, right? Like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a way of um, using kind of existing systems of trust so we integrate things to look at the business's bank accounts um, using Plaid and then like accounting software, APIs. So it's um, based upon what the business um, has already been able to, to achieve. Um, and then the underwriters are evaluating that and then helping set the credit lines for the businesses. 
No, very, very cool. Um, and and sounds sounds amazing. So so and and currently you're you're sort of uh, um, I guess in the pre-sale of of your 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 token launch, um, and you anticipate that going live in um, later this year, early next year. Is that that's still the plan? Or that, that? We're doing a um, a, a token generation event probably in November. Um, yeah. But it's a, it's a limited uh, small amount. And then um, there will be ways for people who are um, just hitting and adding value to the protocol, whether that's an ambassador and referring businesses or as an underwriter themselves. Um, and then eventually, you know, developing uh, and building tools and infrastructure um, that service this type of mutual credit economy. Um, would be the way that people can start to to earn um, the to, the source tokens of our protocol. Yeah, most of the tokens are going to be distributed through people who participate and not through sales. The vast majority, okay. not. Okay, <laughs> so that 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 makes a ton of sense. So so exciting, um, and um, so yeah, and I guess in terms of sort of. It'd be nice to sort of circle back to some of the thoughts that Afia was talking about earlier in terms of where where the economy has been. I guess a lot of main uh, smaller businesses really struggle to get credit in different ways, right? So, so, so I'm guessing that's quite a major driver of how you want things to pan out, right? I can, I can counter that in an intelligent way. Essentially, you don't want to get the bottom of the barrel of the credit industry. If you're saying, I'm helping people who can't get a loan in the bank, and that's your strategy, it's, it's a little bit challenging uh, because you know, you're giving credit to more risky businesses. Then if we're talking about traditional lending industry, what's the great competition is to get the best businesses to select you as a credit provider, right? Everybody wants to give debt to the best businesses. And acquiring customers is very hard. When you're offering credit. That's why a lot of our marketing materials, actually none of our marketing materials mention credit. And a lot of our marketing materials mention increase your revenue, uh, buy without spending, you know, grow without touching your cash flow. Because what we're talking about is that you're, you're going to be able to pay it back with inventory, with sales. It's very different than regular loans. And so it allows us to compete. And it's very important for me to say that for some of the best businesses in any community, the ones that are purpose-driven and mission-aligned and have you know, an excellent culture of, of workplace and so on and so forth are the companies that we're now targeting. If you go to our uh, homepage, resourcenetwork.co, you'll see that we're uh, mostly focused today on local supply chain, companies who love their employees just as much as the planet and so on, because we think that they have quality and that they are future-looking. Uh, uh, you know? And so having these kind of businesses in the beginning will set the standard for where we want the rest of the protocol uh, to go. So it's just very important for me to say that because a lot of times people ask us, oh, you're helping people who can't get a loan. And there's something about that that I don't like the sound of. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 completely fair. But but still improving on the experience of the higher quality um, companies that are that are looking for loans in just on better terms by the sound of things or in more interesting terms. If I can say one more thing, I'm going to roll here. Uh, there's, there's, uh, I mean, 
access to fair credit, access to excellent terms credit is kind of like a superpower. And when you look at society, the higher up you go in the society, the more access you have to excellent credit. And when you go to places in emerging markets where they don't have a bank at all, then access could be limited and non-existent. And we are saying this, we have an ability using some of the stuff that Ashley talked about. We have an ability to call shots on who's a quality business. We look at a bunch of different you know, criteria and we add to that the purpose-driven, et cetera, good culture. Uh, by giving these people excellent credit to buy from each other, we're essentially saying we think this industry should grow. We, we would like to see more transaction velocity between these businesses. Um, and, and I think that that's something that's very interesting to think about that when you bestow a bunch of credit onto a network and they can only spend it on each other, it's still circulating inventory. And that creates a surplus for them. Creates access to more growth, more opportunity. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and in terms of the, the circular system, um, and it sounded like you, but you're adding in another layer where people can, where people can also sort of, I guess, have their customers pay it back if they don't want to spend it, right? So there's a different, there's two different ways of it working. You can spend it on yourself by the sound of things, or if you're the the example of the water company in the beginning. Yeah, you can spend it on your own employees, not necessarily in a different business, and then your employees are able to just choose whatever they want to get in the community and make that available for resource dollars. Okay, so the employees would still be wanting to use it within the within the sort of network effectively is that the yeah okay cool very very interesting um when you go to resource the app when you're receiving benefits from your employer when you open the app you can see all the providers in the town that accept resource dollars so it's more the question of who's inside the network than you know you bump you know like calling somebody up and asking do you have resource uh, most likely they won't know what that is yet as we're, you know, we're bottom up. Uh, so yeah, it's just getting a bunch of quality practitioners to be available on the marketplace. And then you create this two-way communication and people can just buy on the network. So, and and then how, how do you plan to roll this out, right? Because you, you started in, in North Carolina. Um, where, how does it scale? Where, where does it go from here? Yeah, an interesting uh, partner that we've identified um, are the, they're like a local Amazon, you can think of them that way. So they have um, organic food delivery to your house or to your business in Asheville. Um, so they have started using resource for their employees. And the great part about giving credit to them is you can buy tons of organic food delivered to your house um, with the resource dollar. So it's a very credit worthy company in our example and uh they also do more than just food you can even get like beer that's made in some of the local breweries you can get like organic skincare cleaning products all those kinds of things um the cool part about them is they're a replicable uh, model because there's uh businesses like that in towns all over the u.s um, so our scaling strategy is to first you know onboard a business like that then we have distribution in the in the city where we are, um, and then we can start to onboard uh, health and wellness providers who are working for the employees of those companies. And then after you reach sort of that kind of initial um, critical mass, 
you can start to have those companies um, onboard the companies down their supply chains and start to actually onboard the farms that they're working with and the makers. Yeah, no, it sounds um, a very, it ends up being quite a community-driven approach, right, to money. Um, and, and it will be really interesting to see how it pans out. I guess in terms of your, your talking about the wider crypto market and adoption and what inspired you, so that how, how do you see your network interplaying with, with the wider crypto market? Yeah, that's uh, an interesting question. Okay, so I think that the the major thing is developing our underwriting ecosystem. Um, so our first, uh, I guess we have two official partners in the blockchain space. One is Celo. Celo was our first tech and we're building on Celo. Um, and then all of the other projects that are building on Celo are super interesting to us because they're all, most of them are focused, like it's like real world impact um so right say like the first time that people are using crypto um is a good uh onboarder for first timers that are using crypto and often they don't even know that it's crypto in the background um so cello and then we also have uh teller finance so teller finance is an underwriting protocol for uh doing traditional style loans so meaning it's not like DeFi loans where you're over collateralizing it um so they're actually our partner for bringing those relationships with plaid uh quickbooks and other apis um and so ultimately i think developing that ecosystem is where i can see more of the crypto protocols being integrated so for example like tellers using Chainlink and graph already so by proxy of them we're already starting to intersect with our community. And then I think long-term, uh, if you think about all the different data sources that exist, like can feed into creditworthiness, um, and basically having more and more integrations where people can feed this data in a secure way, so they're not um, uh, revealing anonymizing or, or anonymous, they're not revealing private information, they're doing it in a way where they're keeping it anonymous, um, but then the underwriters can actually uh, use the data in a way that's secure and that they can trust it. It's super cool because then you can have a bunch of people, for example, they have a software company, they're doing payments in Africa, and maybe they don't want to get involved as an underwriter, but they can participate as a data provider using that kind of infrastructure and then help uh, build the infrastructure for more people to access credit. So I think that that will be the uh, way to be integrated with other protocols. And, and very interesting, right? So, so um, I'm intrigued about the Celo ecosystem, sort of what, what drew you to it, what, 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 what's going on in, 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 in that blockchain. Like I hear it mentioned more and more, but, but I haven't done a deep dive on it, so I'd love to. So do we. <laughs> So they took a um, mobile first approach. Um, and so by having that type of focus, obviously there's like a social impact financial inclusion mission. That is the reason that they did that. But it, then it has really interesting technical implications in that technology that they've designed is built to be you know, fast and cheap, usable, not complicated. And so for us, that's really important because at the end of the day, that's what we're doing. We're working with businesses who 
um, are not going to take the time to learn about things like private key management. Um, they don't have, you know, millions of dollars that they're trying to secure storily on a blockchain. They're just trying to transact um, with other businesses. Um, so for, for us, it was really important that the, um, that the technology that we're working with, like has those same goals long-term because um, that means that we can trust that we're going to keep being able to uh, run our protocol using Selim. However, we're uh, ultimately, you know, we'll be able to implement the protocol on other chains, whether that's like making use of the bridge that Selim's building and just launched called Optics with Ethereum um, or other solutions down the line. Um, but for now, in this space, this is like a really good place for us to focus. Very cool. Yeah, no, I think it's um, um, fascinating. And and uh, um, as someone who, I'm actually one of these sort of paranoid people who never uses crypto on a mobile, but I, it's, with, uh, um, um, it's interesting. Like, I, I think for, for any adoption, you do need the mobile, but I just sort of... Uh, um, just decided people warn you about your wallet being hacked and the easiest way to do that is have no vulnerability and always have your laptop. But, but um. I think that the reason that you think about it that way is part of the revolution that's arriving in crypto. In my personal opinion, the last 10 years, 11 years, we're all about investing in portfolio yeah. management. The next 10 years are about payments, credit, merchants, consumers. And when you deal with $15, it's fine to do it from your mobile. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure about $15,000, but I'm pretty sure about $15. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, which, which is clearly, clearly right. And, and I think for, for, there's a whole host of people now who, who don't touch a laptop or a desktop, right? Maybe overly, overly paranoid over my crypto security, but it's, uh, um, um, but you, yeah. It, uh, we were, uh, we were in a meeting yesterday with a partner from, I don't know if you're supposed to say that, uh, but anyway, we were meeting with a partner from VC yesterday, uh, Unisquare Ventures, and he said something that I liked. He said, in Africa, a lot of the places didn't get phone lines because when mobile phones came out, they didn't have anything to replace, so everybody just used mobile. And you wouldn't say it's the same thing because desktops are actually different than mobile phones and you have different use cases for them. But what you certainly don't have in the emerging markets a lot of times is financial products that are competitive that are reasonable. And so if we can leapfrog these people from joining the banking system and joining the uh, national currency beyond paper money, uh, if we are their first digital currency, that's pretty crazy. Because imagine for you, Toby, um, uh, you're in the UK. So I would say that your first digital currency was probably the British pound. Uh, yeah. Just fine, you know? Uh, and so for a lot of these people, this would be their first digital currency. And that's really crazy. Uh, and like leapfrogging the landlines into mobile, here would be leapfrogging the regular bank account app into you know mutual credit. Yeah, no, very good. And and do you see it being your your as well as for now? It sounds like your rollout is focused on the states, but but obviously it sounds like it's could be an emerging markets play and. Let's say in a very conservative roadmap that in six months from today, we can say the United States use case is um, in a teen, teenage kind of starting to become mature, and we can delegate that to other people to run. 
And then the next thing would be partnering with people in emerging markets that have data, that have underwriting chops in order to get merchants in some other place because we are way more interested in that. And so are most of our investors, I think. Most of the people are more interested in trying to figure out what kind of value you can create for people who are underbanked, uh, not for people in the States that would otherwise be paying 20% interest. Uh, the difference between zero to 20 is smaller than zero to, uh, you know, 150, uh, depending on where you are in the world. And um, the, the, the thing is, you know, the reason why we would be doing that second and not first is because it takes partners, it takes more understanding of, you know, different circumstances. And then here, everything is easier. It's close to home. It's in English, so on and so forth. Yeah. And and in terms of the way the system operates, so, so that isn't, there isn't any fee. It, it's purely the 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 network, or no? There are transactions. Yeah, there are transactions. Yeah, the way uh, mutual credit networks work is this model. Usually, is that you have a membership fee annual or monthly. Then you have a fee for every time you do a transaction. We are doing away with membership fees because they just are not necessary when you have a potential to reach one million customers, which most mutual credit networks don't. They're usually very local and small. Uh, so we're just focused on transaction fees, and those will be primarily collected by underwriters with some of that going to the protocol itself. Uh, but underwriters are the closest thing we have to miners in our economy. They kind of like, by, by underwriting people, they stake source tokens, and in doing so, they create the credit lines. So they would be the most similar to miners in our story. Very cool. Um, and and yeah, it, it seems like it, I mean, it's obviously from a user perspective, um, it's going to be very interesting, right? Um, in terms of um, just being able to have low cost um, capital that you can, you can use in your local ecosystem, right? Especially for smaller groups. Um, so you you can definitely see how it would grow virally if if you can get the right partners on board, right? Um, yeah, I feel like I'm talking a lot, but we'll, uh, I'm not jumping ahead of me. I just want to say that I think that one of the most uh, I call it a sleeper killer feature in crypto. So the story uh, uh, was about a year and two months ago in DeFi summer. Uh, Uniswap came out and it was taking over, uh, uh, you know, what was used to be called blockchain, and then suddenly it was everybody was calling it DeFi. And five minutes later, SushiSwap came. And for, for, for the most of business history, if one brand started first, they have the first mover advantage, you know, uh, and they have a lot of liquidity. They have an incentivized pro incentive program with their token. It would be kind of impossible to, to compete with them. But when SushiSwap comes out and they say, we're going to offer people higher prices in our token, Basically, the competition is not in lower transaction fees. It's not improving the, the product that way. The incentive was just you will gain more ownership of this protocol by using it. And they became a very significant business that way. Now, SushiSwap is one of the you know, giants, uh, where in any other kind of like industrial era, they would just not have a chance because they were too late to the party. Um, and this has only been so far aggressively tested on DeFi users. There's three to five million DeFi wallets. That's nothing compared to the mm -hmm. entire world. Uh, yeah. what, are, what are the economics? What are the dynamics when a serious, let's call it mainstream type of brand unleashes this kind of incentive structure? 
of you know participate and create value and earn tokens. Uh, I believe that it's going to be one of the most important things in this decade, the 2020s, is incentive with incentivized with tokens, incentivized with stake, not just with you five bucks off your next purchase. No, that makes sense. And Ashley, what's your your take on on the the resource model in that way with your source token? I mean, I think the thing to also add is that you're making people become stakeholders um, rather than just the users of technology systems. And I think that's the paradigm that a lot of people want to see. And I think that's also what blockchain has been promising for a long time. Um, But I think like the actual uh, uh, participation models of this um, are going to be uh, pretty varied. Like you're going to see ones that uh, reward people, but they're not necessarily still trying to decentralize uh, more and more over time. So I think it will be very interesting to learn, you know, what does it mean when you have more people being stakeholders in these kinds of systems? And does it make sense for everyone to be using one network or people start to to use the protocol and form their own networks more down the line so i think it's um uh, it's about what is that transition of like not being a user anymore and becoming more stakeholder in the economy and i think that would be really positive yeah absolutely fascinating well well um yeah no really looking forward um to crypto leaping into more of Main Street. Um, and um, um, thank you very much, Ashley and Afir, for joining us on the Novum Insightful. For having us, Toby. Yeah, good stuff.